Today, you're in for a real treat. Cameron Harold, the author and architect of Vivid Vision, shares the number one reason entrepreneurs stay stuck and then slices through it relentlessly, leaving you no other choice but to lean out and take that next step. Are you an entrepreneur who's looking for motivation, strategy, and tactical guidance on taking your business to the next level? Do you like surrounding yourself with action takers who know what it takes to win? If so, you're in the right place. My name is Josh Thomas, and I'm your host. Join me as I speak with some of the greatest business minds on the planet. Welcome to the Do Zone. If you're communicating with others only to tell them how you want things done, you're not communicating effectively. Cameron Harold, DZ Tribe, Josh Thomas, glad to have you. Be sure and follow and subscribe to the Do Zone podcast on Apple or Spotify. I'd really love that. And I appreciate that. This podcast is brought to you by Unbreakable Teams. We help entrepreneurs build the systems they need to crush their goals, the teams they need to execute those systems, and the accountability they need to make sure it all gets done. We are your fractional operations managers and strategic partners. If you're ready to take your business to the next level and you know you can't do it alone, go to unbreakableteams.com now to learn more. Today's guest is Cameron Harold. Cameron is the mastermind behind the exponential growth of hundreds of companies. He is the founder of the COO Alliance and the Invest in Your Leaders course. He's the author of Vivid Vision, and his new book, The Second in Command. Cameron, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. Hey, Josh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And hello, everybody. Um, I think one of the real keys right now is to remember that it's not about actually having all of the perfect answers to, this, to the questions. It's not about having all the perfect systems in place. It's about momentum, creating momentum. And I think we can often get bogged down when we're trying to figure it out that we try to figure out every problem. The school system in many ways messed us up. <clears throat> Most of the problems have already been figured out by somebody else. The key is to take those great ideas and put them in place as fast as possible. You know, anyone listening to your podcast knows that you give a ton of really good implementable, executable ideas that they can put in place. They should be putting them in place. Instead of thinking business is hard, take all these good ideas that you know to already be true and just do it. And don't worry about perfecting them. Don't worry about whether they're actually going to work. Just try it because it's better than just listening to another podcast, listening to another podcast and doing nothing with it. <laughs> you know, I I built an entire business around that exact concept. <clears throat> uh, the, the do zone came from a, a frustration with working with thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs who had the answers that they need and thought that they were doing things, but really they were just spinning their wheels in motion mm -hmm. constantly. And, and I, I had to find a way to, how do we separate what you think is action from what is actually action? And well, you know what happens where... is we're, we're often like that fly trying to get out the window that we're going to work hard. We're going to keep working hard and keep working hard, banging our head on the window, but there's an easier path. If you just turn and go out the door that's open right here, if you take some of the systems that you give them and they just run with those, or if they take content you know, from my book, The Second in Command, or from some of the other great books they read and actually put those ideas into action, it's going to be easier than working hard. And I think in, in another way, that, that old Protestant work ethic of working hard 
doesn't actually give us the ROI. Working smart gives us the ROI, right? So sometimes it's about the cheat sheets and the shortcuts that are going to get you that momentum versus the working hard that won't necessarily give you the same return on investment, return on time. So how do we break that <clears throat> centuries of tradition of you got to get out there and do the hard work? Hard work is honorable. You know, it ain't much, but it's honest work. How do we break that to start going in the direction that's actually going to produce better results for us? I think it's to recognize that it's a lie. You know, it's almost like the school system that raised us that said that if we're weak at something, we have to get a tutor and work harder and practice and keep trying. Most of us, when we finished school at whatever level we finish, whether it's end of high school or end of college, most of us on those areas we were weak that we worked so hard in have never, ever touched since. Like if we sucked at French, we're always going to suck at French. We've probably never decided to use French. So that all like work hard and that's an honest day's work was kind of stupid advice because we can now surround ourselves with people that are really good in French. We can surround ourselves with people that are really good in biology or physics or, or whatever. So we can actually now collaborate and solve problems as a team. So that whole work hard and memorize everything and do it all on your own isn't the way that any business or any job actually even works today. So we have to unlearn kind of sometimes 12 to 14 or 12 to 16 years of education. We have to unlearn that in the business world. And that's not really the way to actually succeed. The way to succeed is to kind of use the cheat sheets. Some of the best books have been written are giving you the tools, to put them in place. Take a look at what the best companies are already doing. Do what they're doing. Go and look at whatever you have to do and kind of rip off and duplicate. Take the best ideas from somebody else and put them in place. Because that again, that momentum creates momentum. And I think that's where most smaller companies and, and earlier stage managers and leaders have to be more confident in is they don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You know, two of my friends just wrote a book about a year and a half ago, Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy wrote a book called um, Who Not How. And again, it's often about not knowing how to do something. It's knowing who can do it for us, right? So that's why you want to invest in being a part of communities like the COO Alliance or other mastermind groups so that you're connected with other who's who can help you solve your problem. In school, that was called cheating off of a friend. Now it's called that. Now it's called smart, right? Like if I don't know how to do it, I can get Bobby and Kelly to help me do it. And then we can all submit our work together. That's how you get work done is knowing the right who's. It's, it's, it's fascinating that you made that analogy. I was, I was just having a conversation with my, my daughter is in a AP European history uh, okay. for some reason. And uh, she likes it because she <laughs> likes it, I guess, you know, and that's where her friends are, you know, and, yeah. and I was watching her and she was, she was going through her homework and she had a, an image on the screen of the same sheet that had already been filled out. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she said, oh, well, in our class, we get together and we compare our notes. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, well, you know, we all kind of do the work and then we just figure out the best answer together. I'm like, awesome. okay, that is awesome. You know, it's like, I don't and, think and that, that I could have done called- that. Right. That used to be called cheating and now it's called collaborating. So the school system is slowly starting to come around to that. Right. Um, You know, it's where the big trend, you know, we can kind of timestamp this as mid February, 2023, you know, the mid, the the big trend right now is chat GPT, right. And the emergence of leveraging AI. Well, we used to have to sit down and try really hard to write good copy or try really hard to write good emails or try really hard to come up with good step-by-step instructions to do something. And now just by understanding a couple of simple questions we can ask, AI can actually give us those answers at a much faster rate. 
And then we can take those into our business and tweak them if we want to, or just submit them as our own work. And the reality is it doesn't matter who gets it done as long as it gets done. Mm -hmm. And again, that's unlearning what the school system taught us and generations of learning before us, right? So that's something people have to be cognizant of, of where we are today is just learning differently and learning what's going to help us succeed. And we no longer have to memorize the Pythagorean theorem, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> A squared plus B squared equals C squared, right? We don't have to memorize it. I happen to be good in math. Yeah, we don't have to memorize that stuff because it's all actually in, you know, you can just look that up. You can have, Now you need to understand that there's theorems that exist or there's ways to understand certain things exist. You have to understand the understanding that's going to have to take place, but you don't have to actually memorize it all anymore. That's right. Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed by the way that you just fired that off immediately. Oh, I I was in a weird fraternity that we studied Pythagoras. So, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> that was the perfect <laughs> random thing to yeah. say. Then. Yeah. So, so uh, I'd I'd love to talk about your 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 new book, The Second in Command. But before I before I do that, uh, most of my crowd and the people that I hang around with have been uh, extremely impacted by a previous book of yours, Vivid Vision, which I have right here mm. on my shelf. Sure. And so I'm, I'm curious if you could just kind of take us back to the, uh, the primordial thoughts that led to why a vivid vision was so important and, and how did you put that ultimately together? So Vivid Vision was a tool that I learned 25 years ago now, which is crazy. I was invited to a lunch in Vancouver, Canada with a group of entrepreneurs. There were 120 of us that were invited. Only 16 of us went. And of the 16 of us that were part of this entrepreneurs organization luncheon, we sat with an Olympic coach, a high-performance sports psychologist, who talked about how visualization was used in sport. And he challenged us to understand how if athletes could use visualization, how could we use visualization in the business world? And the idea was to kind of lean out into the future and describe your company in its finished state. So that's where we learned the concept. And then just from years of actually working in it, working in my, my first two businesses and using it, one was an automotive business, one was a, a barter company, and then working with Brian at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, where he crafted his, what he used to call the painted picture, but his vivid vision, um, we, we saw it really working. And then post that era, I then started teaching the concept and speaking about it and there was just a need to actually write the book. So that's where the, the concept of vivid vision came from. I, I love that. And so as you're as you're developing this with various companies and 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 trying certain things and, and tweaking that process, you were able to to ultimately kind of hone it down to a very lean, like the book doesn't take very long to read. Uh, and it's very specific on this is what you need to follow. Can you talk about some of the discoveries that you made as you were working with each of these businesses to say, okay, this concept is fundamental. Sure. This can't be seen. <clears throat> well, and something else about the vivid vision process that was interesting that I think we can learn from today as well is to trust your gut, right? My intuition said this system seems like it would work in business. I understand how it would work in sport. I'll try it out in business and see what happens. So I tried it out and sure enough, it started to work. Brian did the same thing at, at what was called the rubbish boys back then. He tried it out and, you know, look what happened to 1-800-GOT-JUNK, right? So trusting your gut that these systems that you're learning probably will work or in some way kind of iterate, you can put them in place in your business. Some of the things that we learned in the process of rolling them out with companies all over the world, one is that if you lean out too far, you fall over, right? If you lean out and try to describe your company 10 years or 20 years from now, it's so far out there that no one can wrap their head around it. It seems too far-fetched. 
And it's too much of a description. The difference between a, there's, there's something called a BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. That's the 20 or 30 year stretch. That's like colonizing Mars. That's a 20 or 30 year goal. But the vivid vision for SpaceX, describing what SpaceX looks like, acts like, and feels like in three years is not colonizing Mars. So you, we can't confuse the two. So don't describe your company 20 or 30 years out, describe it three years out. The other thing that we learned is, is lean out at least three years, because if you only go out one year, it looks too similar to what it does today. But if you're describing your company one year from now, it's not enough tension to actually get people to you know be inspired and to problem solve and to think about it. Second is to try to figure out the order of operations to build it, to make it come true. You know, If you're building a home from the ground up, let's say you're building a new house, you put in the foundation, then you put in the walls, then you do the electrical and the plumbing, you do the drywall. There's kind of an order of operations of building a home. Well, building a business is the same thing. It's understanding what your revenue model is, understanding your core values, understanding your core purpose, understanding your BHAG, getting a plan in place for the first year. There's kind of an order of operations of some critical things, but you'll never build a business without knowing what your revenue model is. You'll never build a business without knowing who your core customers are going to be. Because you, because you start testing stuff and thinking about that, right? You'll never build a business without really understanding your core purpose of why you exist and what you're focusing on. So it's really thinking about your vivid vision and extracting the core sentences of that vivid vision that you can start making come true this year because some parts of it won't come true until two years from now and some won't come true until third year. It's like hanging up the cabinets and putting in the wolf stove. That doesn't happen until 12 months after you break ground. But if you right, so you have to don't and resist the urge when you're building a business to do the cool stuff right away, because that's not the necessarily the foundational things that you need to do right away. Love it. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, I was just having a conversation. <clears throat> One of uh, another guest on this podcast, Dominic Monkhouse, was talking about uh, his uh, his answer to the question of like, how 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 do I get more stuff done that most people wouldn't think of? And he very specifically said, you must have a purpose. Uh, because yeah. most people are wandering around without a purpose and without a purpose, you're not going to be motivated to do anything and you're not going to be driven towards a specific result. And, and you hit on that as well. It also, the, the core purpose allows you to say yes and no to specific opportunities with certainty. So my core purpose is to help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. That's why I do what I do. It's why I said yes to being on your podcast. It's why I've written my six books. It's why I started the COO Alliance. It's why I have the Second in Command podcast. It's why I do speaking events to groups of entrepreneurs. It's all completely aligned with helping entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. Now, let's say you, as an example, had a great podcast for government officials. I mean, God forbid they would have a podcast. I wouldn't be on it <laughs> because, it's, because it would be a waste of time for me to talk to them about my ideas. It's not aligned, Right. Or if your podcast was for swimmers or, or athletes, I would say no, because it's not aligned with my core purpose. It doesn't make any sense. I would come off as a rambling idiot in that group. Yeah. Right? Backstroke. It's, it's why I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like go backstroke faster, right? Like I have no idea. So, so understanding that allows you to say yes. It also allows you when somebody introduces you to ideas to say yes or no to the ideas because they're aligned, right? With your vivid vision, your core purpose. They're within your core values. You can, with certainty, say yes or no to these ideas. And that allows you to buy into this whole, not just minimum viable product, but minimum viable everything. Because the momentum creates momentum, right? Versus perfection. 
And and so speaking of that, or versus opportunity, or versus opportunities that could take you on a ninety degree. You know, I, I, let's say I'm building a business, I'm super excited about it, and somebody says, "Hey, you should open up a pizza parlor." Oh, that seems like a great idea, but no, I'm actually building a, I'm building a, you know, a construction company or a road building company, or I'm building up a, a pest control business. The, the pizza parlor is a massive distraction. It has nothing to do with my core purpose. Yeah, the the shiny object is always going to be there, luring us away. With its so sign. now you know which shiny objects to say yes to. Yeah, that's right. The ones that align with your core purpose. And so I'm curious uh, for for your vivid vision. <clears throat> at some point, uh, you decided, uh, you know, I'm just going to roam around the planet. And uh, was that part of your vivid vision or was it something that just kind of happened? Um, restate it for me. Uh, you mentioned that you're 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 a global nomad. Uh, yeah. Kind of wandering around and and checking out different parts of the world and and you're enjoying yeah. that right now. So tell me a little so bit that, more about that. Yeah, that wasn't part of my company vivid vision so much as it was part of my personal vivid vision and then also my wife's personal our our vivid vision as a couple. So we sat down and or I sat down and did one for my personal life. How do I want to be as a husband, a father, a friend, as a human, and thought about all different aspects of my life. And then we sat and looked at our marriage together and described what that was going to be and we wanted a sense of this wonder a sense of exploring a sense of travel um i didn't really want to stay stuck in the same places year after year i've been doing that for a long time and kind of check those boxes and now i want to explore in a different way and at the end of the year none of this matters it's just what we do to make money so we may as well enjoy the journey before we all die right that's right so, yeah that the the idea of the um the wanderlust and the idea of exploration and, and that's something we figured out. And then now we figure out, well, how do we do that and stay healthy? How do we do that and spend time with friends? How do we do that and, you know, connect with different mastermind communities as we're traveling? So we try to, to think about all aspects of our lives and have them all fit together instead of waking up 20 years from now and going, well, that sucked. Like, <laughs> so, so focusing on the good things, what are, uh, since you've, since you've kind of made this decision and following your wanderlust, uh, what are some of the experiences that you've had that have been extremely memorable for you? Oh gosh. Well, we were in Antarctica last year. So in 12 months ago, almost today, we were down in Antarctica hanging out with penguins and 60 other entrepreneurs, which was an amazing journey. Uh, we spent six weeks in Italy, just traveling around Italy and going to all these amazing different cities and regions of Italy, which was an incredible trip. Um, being able to just explore different parts of the world and frankly work in completely different time zones, right? We were in, we're going back to Dubai next month for our third time. We're going off to Egypt. We're doing a huge tour through Iceland. Um, and then also just crossing off some bucket list items. Like I always wanted to go up in a hot air balloon. So my wife booked a hot air balloon ride for us over top of the Kenya um, safari area. So we got to fly over top of elephants and, you know, giraffes in a, in a hot air balloon, which is pretty magical. So those kinds of things um, have been fun as being able to cross off bucket list items and also explore the world. And then she's even now started to um, describe all of our trips and document all of our trips, started a YouTube channel. And just even on her YouTube channel, she's now doing videos for every single place we've been to. It's called Ever Wander Travel is the YouTube channel, but it's cool to be able to relive all these experiences. But we were in 23 countries last year. Whereas wow. most people, you know, you ask most people, how was your year? They're kind of same old, same old, same old. Well, it, you know, it really, it really struck me when you said, Hey, I'd rather do that than wake up in 20 years and say, well, that sucked. And, yeah. and I feel <laughs> like, uh, I feel like a lot of us, if we're not conscious about it, 
a lot of us are going to end up doing that if we're not careful. If we Correct. if we don't make a conscious decision right now to say, you know what, I want something different for my life, we're going to keep getting stuck waking up every day and doing the same thing over and over and over. And, and so do you have any words of wisdom for how somebody might be stuck there could potentially just break through that? Yeah, it's it's about leaning out and just dis- describing what you want your life to then look like and, and thinking about it in a different level without worrying about the how. Leaning out three years from now and describing... I heard years ago about the five F's, you know, friends, family, fitness, faith, and finance. So how do I want my relationships with friends to be? How do I want my relationships with family to be? What are my vacations going to be like? How's my fitness level? And really starting to describe all of those different things so that you can start leaning out and describing your life in the future. And some of that might be, I got to quit my shitty job and go do this thing, or I've got to find a partner to help me do this, or I've got to, you know, stay more focused on my family while I do this so that business doesn't, you know, blow up my family as well. It's just thinking about and being intentional with all aspects of your life. Very similar to building a home. You wouldn't just show up and start, you know, hammering wood and nails together and hope to build something, right? Hopefully not. (laughs) Right. That's, that's great advice. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and uh, this is not actually the, the first time that we've spoken uh, I don't know if you remember, but I interviewed you on a podcast almost five years ago called How to Lose Money. Okay. It, I, knew you're, I knew you were familiar, but I couldn't it, remember that. That's hilarious. My hair is a little different then, you know. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we had, a, we had a podcast called How to Lose Money. Uh, your episode, I looked it up, was number 141 on December 31st, 2018. And you talked about uh, a situation where you didn't listen to your CFO. This was a story wow. about failures yeah. and how you overcome the adversity. Totally. Um, so if anybody okay. wants to go and take a stroll down memory lane, you know, you can check that out. It's actually still on Spotify. Uh, but you. I wanted to ask you, uh, one of the things that you mentioned there was you had uh, a monarchy as a client. Yeah. Um, the 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 monarch of Qatar, you told me, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, uh, Qatar, Qatar, yeah. Yeah. And, and so... I, I would love for you, for, for anybody that's out there that's a, a consultant that is that is helping other businesses grow, uh, could you could you talk just briefly about that? Uh, because it was yeah. just a fascinating story how you got into involved in what you did for them. Sure. So so I this is this is again an example of being very true to your core purpose, understanding exactly who you can work with. Um, and then also kind of leveraging stuff like writing books. So I've, I was an author, I'm now an author of six books, but at the time I think I'd written three books at the time or maybe two. And I was sitting on a plane. I, I only fly business class. Um, I fought flights for longer than two hours because I'm, I end up, I'm six foot four. I like the leg room. I like the work room, but I also sit with people that I can end up doing business deals with. I often meet people on planes that I'll sell books to, or I'll, they'll hire me as a speaker or they'll hire me as a coach or what have you. So I'm sitting on a plane from from Vancouver to Phoenix, sitting beside this woman, and um, she said something about whatever what her name was, and I said, "Oh, my name's Cameron." And she said, "Cameron." She said, "Are you Cameron Harold?" And I said, "Yeah." She goes, "Oh, I just heard about your book the other day from a group that I was with up in in Whistler. Somebody told me to read the book Double Double." And I was like, "Okay." And I'm like, "What do you do?" And she goes, "I'm a second in command." And I said, "Oh, wow! I I'm just starting this organization. This was six years ago, called the COO Alliance, six and a half years ago." And I've got a group of these second in commands and she was, what do you do? So I was explaining what I do. And I'm like, so what are you the second in command of? She said, so, well, we have a number of companies, you know, we're into construction and healthcare and 
turns out that she was the second in command to the royal family of the country of Qatar. And not only are they into all these things, but they they own the country. It's an absolute monarchy. And she was the second in command to the monarchy. And so I went in there. I flew over to Qatar for three days and spent time with her putting together plans and ideas on how to set up some of the different businesses over in Qatar and how to incorporate some of the things around um, core values and core purpose and culture and people systems. Um, and they paid very, very well. <laughs> right. Very, very well. well. It's so so what I what I extracted from that story is the the way that I would say that's a pretty high profile client. Uh, and I, yeah. I don't know that I don't know that you can get a high unless unless it's the president of the United States or something. I don't know that you can get much higher than that. And uh, I had a pretty good one. I, I also coached okay. the CEO and the second in command of Sprint. Um, so that was pretty high profile. Most definitely. Yes. And and so the what i extracted from that is uh there there were at least two things happening you were number one you were very well positioned because you are a published author uh mm-hmm. and you have you have shared your vision for the world and your structure that is that is helpful for other people in the form of a published book that was one thing and then the second yep. thing was you put yourself in in the right room where those kinds of people hang out correct yeah in, sitting in business, in business class, class joining the right golf clubs, you know, going to the right mastermind communities. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, if somebody is out there who wants to pick up higher profile clients, uh, what would your recommendations be for how do they position themselves and how do they get themselves into those right rooms? Because it sounds like obviously you have some, some skill that you close the deal and there's this intangible factor to it, but those two things were fundamental for this even be possible. Yeah, I think it's to understand first, who is your client and where do they hang out, right? I learned this from my grandfather that when we we used to go duck hunting and he owned a big hunting and fishing resort, he would talk about where certain kinds of ducks spend time. Like some ducks liked ponds, some ducks ducks like big open water and some ducks like fields and they wouldn't actually be found in different places. So it's understanding what kind of ducks do you want and where do those ducks hang out? So who's the duck that you're looking for, right? If you're looking for certain kinds of clients, where do those clients hang out? What's their size? What kind of companies are they operating? What are they trying to learn? Um, What kind of groups do they hold? Can you be a speaker to those groups? So as an example, I did 21 podcast interviews, media interviews when my book launched a few weeks ago to groups of entrepreneurs, to, you know, mastermind communities of entrepreneurs, and because for me, that's where my target client is, right? I'm very aware that my target client tends to be the five to fifty million dollar company wanting to go from fifty million to five hundred million. You know, just before we we started the podcast, one of the guys on my team just signed another client for our CEO alliance. He's fifty two million in revenue. It's exactly in the sweet spot. So being very aware as to who you're looking at, who you're looking for, can you describe them? Right. So our target client is twenty five to sixty years old. Uh, we have 40% of our members are women, very entrepreneurial organizations. We tend to not be great in the like the big corporate publicly traded companies. That's not our zone. It's not our, our mastermind community. Um, we have members from 17 countries, but predominantly U.S. and Canada, 80%. So it's, it's can you explain who you are, who you, who you work best with and who you like to work with? And then where do those people hang out? And then try to find ways into those communities, whether it's through marketing or through speaking or through books or you know, cold calling, what have you. 
I love that. And uh, so, so Cameron, you are uh, a brilliant business mind. I'd, I'd love to jump in there and see how it works. Let's get into the do zone diagnostic. You ready? Sweet. Sounds good. Awesome. So five quick questions here. I ask every guest, uh, just rapid fire. First thing that comes to mind, uh, Cameron, what's one thing that you do that keeps you focused on your goals? One is rereading the vivid vision, but I think I think the other one is just making sure that I continually set goals and then praise the people that I have working with me on what we're getting accomplished so that we feel a sense of momentum and accomplishment as well. You know, if we're always focusing on the goals, but we forget to celebrate how far we've come, you you get caught in a gap. Awesome. And and how do you get back on track when you lose that focus? Again, just just come, coming back to center, having the right meeting rhythms in place, having the right you know um, rituals in place to to focus on goals, to focus on figuring out your strategy to get to the goals, to break the goals down into projects, to figure out who's doing them. I, I'm naturally quite good at that because for years I was building a company where we had to hire eight thousand eight hundred people every year. Right? I was building college pro painters, and to go out and find eight hundred franchisees and then in one month teach them how to go out and get eight thousand painters. We became operationally world class at reverse engineering goals, so that's where a lot of my skills have come from. That's how I built one eight hundred got junk as well. Wow, and and who is your support group, and how do they keep you accountable? We were at college. Oh, now who's my support group? I'm different mastermind communities. So I'll be in. I go to the main five day TED conference every year. I'll be there in, in April. I'm going to uh, go hiking to see some gorillas in Uganda with a group of entrepreneurs. Um, in June, I'm going to another group of 150 entrepreneurs in Croatia, spend time with them. Um, so I'm, I go to, I was just at a 350 person conference uh, called the Genius Network. I've been in that group for seven years and I just came back from one with 50 entrepreneurs in San Diego called Arch Archangel Academy. So I put myself into these communities of entrepreneurs and then by sharing my vision with them, by sharing my vivid vision with them, by even sharing it on things like social media, I felt this, in, this intense amount of pressure to actually to do what I say I'm going to do. So, you know, surrounding myself with really smart people where I'm not the smartest person in the room and then also committing my goals to them as a, as a vivid vision really helps me to feel the, the pressure to make it come true. I love it. And I'm looking forward to your response to this question. How do you approach a difficult project that you're not sure how to complete? I don't have to be the one to know how to complete it. I just have to know what the project looks like when it's done. And then I have to reach out to my connections, my social group, my network, the other CEOs that I hang out with and say, here's what I'm working on. Who can help me figure out how to make this come true? And then Bob's your uncle. They just point you in the direction of a couple of people that can help you. And then because I understand the way that I operate, my entrepreneurial DNA, I know the kinds of sub trades that will work well with me, right? So then I can find the right people who have done it before set them up for success and then stay out of their way and let them do it. But I don't have to be the one to know how to do stuff. Right. Last question. What's the number one pro tip you would give to someone looking to get more stuff done in less time? Make sure you're doing the right stuff because just doing more of the wrong things is really dangerous. Make sure you're doing the right stuff, not more stuff. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I'm actually, that's, that's your quotable right now. <laughs> uh, excellent. Yeah. So uh, talk to me about the second in command. I, I picked this up as soon as I saw that you had launched it. I've got a copy right here in my hand. Mm -hmm. um, I read it. I enjoyed it uh, very much. And uh, what this book does, to. It, you got one too. Look at that. Yeah, <laughs> We're book twins. Yeah. So yeah. 
so, so talk to me about uh, what, first of all, what is a COO? And then secondly, who is a COO? And that's kind of the first couple of sections of your book. Can you just kind of go into that a little more? Yeah. And this is actually intentionally why I called the book the second in command and not the COO. Because your second in command in a company could be a COO or a president or a VP operations or a director operations or a general manager or a project manager, maybe even just your EA if it's the two of you. It's understanding who is your second in command at the stage of growth that you're at. And your second in command is there for a reason, a season, but rarely a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Because as your company scales, the skill sets of that person often don't scale to the same extent or the the next level of skills that they need, they might run out of. I was the right second in command for 1-800-GOT-JUNK from 2 million to 106 million, but I would have been the wrong person to take them from the 100 million to the billion. Hmm. Their current COO, who I've known for 35 years, we started a fraternity together in Ottawa, Canada in 1987. I was president year one. He was president year two. He's been their COO for 10 years now. He's been amazing from the 100 million to the, to the 450 million. He would have been horrible in the first six years because he didn't have the right skill sets for that season. I didn't have, so it's, it's this really strange economy. So that's the first part. His title matches the skills, compensation, and the season that they're at in your business. And then I guess the next part is, is more understanding yourself as the CEO to understand what you're looking for in a good second in command, because they have to be the yin and yang to you. You have to understand your own strengths, your own weaknesses, the own areas of the business that you want to work on and hire somebody who wants to run everything else that you suck at and that you don't want to manage. Then you find that perfect balance. And that's why it's so different is because different companies, I would be, by the way, a horrible COO for most of our COO Alliance member companies because I don't match the CEO or I don't match the kind of company or my skill sets aren't what they're looking for or the company's at the wrong size for me. And most of them would have been horrible COOs for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Just like most, you know, most women who are married would be wrong wives for me because they don't match me or my, you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. that's the key to think about. So what you're looking for is the balance to you. And most people don't spend time thinking about themselves enough. They're all out there trying to find a good second in command without knowing who is that second in command there to balance out. Well said. So the one of the best ways to find the right person is to first look at yourself and understand yeah. clearly who you are so that you understand the gap of what you need to fill. That's that's an interesting perspective. Bingo. Because once you understand yourself, then you know what you're looking for more. Yeah. Excellent. And and so once you do find that right person, uh, what are your best tips for empowering that person to, to lead the charge and compliment you and help your business grow? Yeah. So we'll skip over the whole, we do, there's a, a bunch of sections around the recruiting, interviewing, hiring, and onboarding of the second in command. We'll skip right over that. What you really want to do to empower them as you, once you have the right person and they're inside your organization, give them space to do their job. Make sure that you shine the spotlight on them because they're going to be doing all the tough stuff and the hard stuff, and they're going to be making you look good. So you got to make sure they look good. And then have some space behind the scenes where you can connect with them as the entrepreneur, where you can sit behind the scenes and chat and brainstorm and share ideas and, and stay on the same page together and have date night almost that you stay on the same page and that you also spend time doing some fun stuff together. So you stay liking each other because it's going to be a tough ride, but it's making sure that you do those things will help you be successful for sure. Awesome. And, uh, you know, your book mentions, uh, several, 
uh, high profile examples. And uh, I'd, I'd love it if you would pick out your favorite example from there. But before you do that, one of the things that that you really encourage in the book is about building a high performance culture. And I, mm. I want to come back just because I was uh, this this guy, Dominic Monkhouse, he, he's he's hit up several things, uh, key points of yours. And I just talked to him a couple of days ago. One of the things that he mentioned that that really hit me between the eyes was he said, if you're looking around and you don't think that you're part of a high performance company, you're not, you're not. <laughs> because high performance companies are very obviously high performance companies. Yeah. You talk about building this high performance culture. Tell me how the, how does the second in command participate and contribute to that? It's really the culture has to start from the top and it kind of bleeds throughout the organization, right? So Jim Collins talks about disciplined people, disciplined thought, disciplined action. That's a high performance culture or, you know, the OKRs that companies are putting in place. That's a high performance culture or a sports team, right? Those tend to be high performance cultures. So you have to decide for your company, what culture do you want? I had somebody one day say, well, we don't really have a culture. I'm like, well, then that's your culture. It's kind of beige. It's not even designer beige. It's kind of boring beige, right? So decide what you want your culture to be. We used to say it, and I used to say this a ton at, at 1-800-GOT-CHUNK, that our culture was work hard, play hard, but results first. And we really would drive for results. We also talked about um, outcome over process that sometimes we wanted to have the right systems and processes in place, but we weren't going to kill ourselves to follow a system if we could just get it done quickly. And I think it was, um, oh shoot, uh, who said this, but, but he said that if you see a snake in the grass, you don't write an SOP or a playbook to kill the snake. You just bash it over the head with a stick, right? <laughs> so, some, some, so so what's your culture, right? So it's, it's you know, Starbucks has on their wall, I've been to their head office a number of times because I was being groomed by their COO. Um, I was being mentored by their incoming second command. They had a huge saying on one of their walls that said, grow big, act small. You know, so that's part of their company culture. So your your sayings, your mantras, um, the way that you do things, right? the one 800 got chunk way is, is your culture. And then just decide if high performance is part of that. And to your point, yeah. If you're not sure if you have one, then you don't. You don't. That's exactly right. It's it's too beige. <laughs> yeah. And so can you give us just uh, one uh And shiny... you know what else with that? A players, a players will be attracted to a high performance culture like a magnet. B players will be nervously excited about it. And C players will run away. Mm. You know, you'll never find a government employee that wants to be a part of a high performance culture unless they're at the very, very, very top working, like right with the president, you know, but when they're like doing the grunt work in government, they're not going to be your high performing people. They're just not. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I'm I'm right on the same page with you. And so to talk to me about one example, a shining light of a second in command who who really drove a business to the next level. I, I like Matt Rawlings from Rippling. Um, Matt did an incredible job with, with scaling Rippling and still there. And um, he did something that he called the operating manual for Matt. So it was the operating manual for himself. And he wrote, I think it was a two-page description of how he operates as a human. What pisses them off, what makes them happy, how he likes to be communicated to, how he likes conflicts handled how he likes information to be passed on to him, how he likes messages to be relayed, how he likes people to work with him and help him. He literally wrote the operating manual and he gives that to everybody around him day one 
so they learn who this COO is and how to actually work well with him. I think that's amazing. That is amazing. And what would be more amazing is understanding how many people are reading and following that manual. Well, he makes every employee read it in their first week at the company. So they're all reading it. It's part of the onboarding of the employees. It's part of how you work here. That's fascinating. Uh, I I love that. And if I could get people to read a manual about how to communicate with me, I think that would be awesome. I think I should write well, that. And imagine if we knew ourselves well enough to be able to write the manual. Most of us don't get introspective enough to actually think about how do we operate as a human well enough to be able to then explain that to other people, right? Yeah. Going right back to what you said earlier, if you don't understand yourself, you're not really sure how to understand who can help you. It's impossible. And so there was one uh, uh, one section of this book that we did leave out about finding that right person, interviewing, hiring them. And, and we can learn more about that if you pick up a copy of Cameron's book, The Second in Command, uh, that is available right now. Cameron, could you talk a little bit more about uh, who should buy this and what they should expect to get out of it? Yeah, it's really written for for a couple parts. One big surprise is I'm getting all these business coaches that are buying dozens of copies of the book and giving it away to clients and potential clients, which I think is amazing. Um, but it's it's written for two parts. It's written for the entrepreneurial organization, kind of in the the 50 to 500 employees that wants to hire the right second in command to scale the company. It's also written for operations people to understand what a company would be looking for in them so that they can become that second in command of these great organizations as well. It's really written for those two parts. Excellent. And uh, where can we get a copy of it? Yeah, it's available. The second in command is on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Uh, we also have the second in command podcast that people should check out both on YouTube's, or YouTube and anywhere that podcasts are out as well. Great. And then uh, quickly, could you could you tell us about the COO Alliance and, and who is that for and who does that serve? Yeah, the COO Alliance is the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. And it's an organization or a mastermind group of COOs from all over the world. Minimum criteria is you need at least $5 million in revenue to qualify. You have to be the second in command to the CEO in the organization. We have a three-hour event online every month, and then we do two in-person events every year that you can opt in to come to as well. Uh, and then they also have a closed private Slack community, and they interact with each other in between events in these small groups. We put every member into an accountability group of six people, and they meet every month as well. Nice. And, and where can we go to learn more about that if we qualify? Yeah, just go to COOalliance.com. And um, check that out. And then for everybody listening, definitely subscribe to the Invest in Your Leaders course. You can get that at investinyourleaders.com or also at either the CO Alliance website or the Cameron Herald website. Great. Love that. Thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your wisdom, everybody. Karen, Cameron Herald, uh, his current book is The Second in Command. You can get that on Amazon. And I also encourage you to visit if you if you qualify to join the COO Alliance, where you can learn more at COOalliance.com. And then one last uh, resource for you. If you are looking to grow your business, you can learn more about a program that he has at investinyourleaders.com. Once again, everybody, Cameron Harold, one of my personal heroes. Thank you so much for coming on here and uh, sharing your wisdom. We're going to wrap from here. Uh, if you want to he keep hearing great content like this, be sure to follow and subscribe to The Do Zone on Apple or Spotify. And if you're looking to break through to the next level with your business, but you just don't have the time or the tools to do so on your own, 
we got your back. Go to unbreakableteams.com to learn how we can supercharge your team's productivity for less than it costs to take them out to lunch. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Share this episode with a friend, screenshot it and add it to your Instagram stories, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever works best for you. If you're looking to crush your goals this year and level up your team, we're here to help. To learn more about how our scientifically backed process can increase your company's productivity by up to 300%, head over to unbreakableteams.com. That's unbreakableteams.com.